Hi, I'm Michaela Loach. And I'm Rebecca. And this is the Yikes Podcast. Welcome back to the Yikes podcast. Um, we are so excited to share this episode with you. Today's episode is with the wonderful Hassan Akkad. If you don't know who Hassan is, he is a documentary filmmaker and photographer. He was part of the team that made Exodus, Our Journey to Europe, which was a documentary film series about refugees' journeys to Europe. Um, and this series actually won a BAFTA. Um, and you might have seen his, his speech that he gave um, at the BAFTA ceremony, which um, was is incredibly moving. His work is so important and he humanises people in all different situations through his photography and documentary filmmaking work um and this conversation was so great um, i'm so excited for you to listen mm, yeah he's just an amazing and like such an inspirational person to both of us and we're just so excited as we talk to him all about um lots of different things uh refugees and like refugee rights in the uk particularly uh, mental health um he gave a bit of a history and like uh, context Uh, around the UK complicity and like how their policies and like well historical uh, actions have led to and um, are supporting the mass displacement of people around the world and how their hostile environment currently is aggravating those histories and those situations. So we're so excited for you to listen and let's get into the episode. So, Hassan, we are so excited to have you on the podcast. Thank you so much for coming on. Sure, thank you. Thanks for having me. Um, really excited for this. Uh, yes, my name is Hassan Ad. I am a documentary filmmaker and a photographer and a TV consultant slash activist. Um, so for the past, I've, I've been in the UK for five years now, where I have worked on um, a couple of documentary series for the BBC about the migration and refugee crisis. And I've also consulted um, on a, a sitcom about a, a Syrian refugee living with a family in Britain called Home for Channel 4. I produced a short film called Adnan, which um, talks about the mental health of, of refugees. And the film last week raised 11 grand for Choose Love. We had a screening and a fundraiser and it, it went really well. And I also work with charities, making um, just content for them, going to camps and meeting people and interviewing them, photographing them. And um, so I mainly work with Choose Love on that front. And for the past three months uh, since the pandemic hit Britain, mm -hmm. I was working as a cleaner in, in Whips Cross Hospital in East London, where I live. Um, and I've also been photographing and interviewing my colleagues Uh, so yeah, that's mainly what I do. Gosh, that's a lot. <laughs> that's a lot. That's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> I even know where to begin. Like, gosh, you do so. Much. How how do you like manage to keep up doing so many different projects? Um, well, back home I was an English teacher. Uh, I taught English for seven years, and I I I, I love the profession. It's one of the best jobs I've ever done. Um, But I got sick of the eight, like seven to, to three or seven to four uh, routine. So I wanted to do something freelance where I have more time on my hands and I can work on different projects. And mm. luckily, 
yes i mean i've i've managed to to, to work on different things because because i'm i'm a freelancer and and uh, mm. um i do often have periods where i don't have any work which is not great but mm. i always, some, sometimes like for the past four months i've been doing 16 hours 16 hours a day i forgot to to, to say that i i just got a, a book deal so i'm, I'm also <gasps> going to start writing my memoir thank you so so yeah it's 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 a lot happening but um uh i've I've, thank god i have friends who've stepped up to 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 work with me and uh, Mm. especially during this time because it's been pretty hectic yeah i can imagine um i noticed that you said that you are like all these things slash an activist um do you think that you would you would you call yourself like an activist um or do you think that you kind of fell into that kind of sphere I've I've always been cautious about calling myself an activist. Um, I don't even have it in my bio because what who mm. is an activist? I don't mm. I don't know who who acted like I don't know what it, what it takes to become an activist. <laughs> but I think recently because I have been speaking out a lot about um, the, the the how the government has been treating migrants who are working on the front mm. line and th- mm. them trying to exclude them from the bereavement scheme and I managed to get the government to get to do a u-turn on on that front so yeah. I, I think i think i can call myself like a small a little activist i'm, <laughs> I'm not i'm not yeah. like a i'm not like a big activist i'm just um i i care about certain issues i care about the refugee crisis i care about the migration mm. crisis i care mm. about the working class i care about people from ethnic minorities and so I, I, I try in my work in my films and my photography and why i write to, to to tackle these issues so I am mm-hmm. uh, an activist in my own arts, I guess. <laughs> yeah, that's, it's so inspiring. Your your work has inspired like me and us so, so much. So, yeah, we feel really grateful for you to share all of that on our platform here. And, and it's so exciting to hear, you know, like all the different projects you're working on. But I wondered, like, what something that's been like coming up for you a lot during the pandemic or like how have you been experiencing the pandemic obviously you just said that you've been you know talking about how the government is neglecting or yeah being really horrible actively horrible to yeah. uh, different communities um do you want to speak a little bit more about your experience yes. in that? <clears throat> absolutely so um when i first came here i was involved in a documentary series called exodus and exodus is a documentary series which um follows the journey of five to six refugees into europe western europe and the reason why that film uh, was very successful and harvested a lot of awards is because it puts faces on the numbers. You hear back mm-hmm. then, you hear a lot about about a lot of people coming, but who who are these people? Mm-hmm. So when you put a face on a crisis, that was that was that that did really well. So when I started working as a cleaner in the hospital, and I started, I mean, um, that I, I I was working in a COVID nineteen ward, mm-hmm. and all my colleagues. Literally, we all had one thing, like the first thing we had in common that we're all from a migrant background. None of us, mm. I mean, we're all people who've come to Britain and, and from, 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 from abroad. So uh, in, in, while I'm cleaning and I'm, uh, because I am a, I'm, I'm a storyteller, I'm a filmmaker, I was also observing everything that's happening around me. So I, after two or three weeks from, from cleaning, I started asking them if I can photograph them um, literally using my smartphone. So there was nothing fancy, not a setup, and it was in the staff room. So I started interviewing my colleagues, and they had these incredible stories. Like everyone has gone through a lot to come here, and 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 mm. most of them are from countries in Africa, from from Ghana, from Nigeria, from the Caribbean. 
Um, so I, I, it, it was, it was very generous of them. I always say that you don't take a good photograph or you don't do a good interview. People give you a good interview. Like mm. the subjects give you a good photograph. So it was very generous of them to, uh, uh, when they are, it was very hectic working during the peak. I'm not going to lie to you. People were, mm. some of my colleagues, the nurses and the assistants were doing 50 and 60 hours a week and they were knackered. And the last thing they wanted to do during their break was to give an interview. But mm. they were very generous and they wanted to, they, they actually wanted to to, to, to to speak about their stories and what it's like to, to be working on the front line. Um, and I had the privilege of, of capturing that story. Mm. And they did really well. I mean, these 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 photos went viral. I even get a letter from Sadiq Khan to, to, to say that mm. he also like to, mm. he was he congratulated me on shedding lights on some of the stories of people working on the front line. And that eventually led me, encouraged me to, 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 to lead that campaign of um, forcing the government to do a U-turn. Because having lived with these people and worked with them and spent eight hours of every day with them, I, I, I had to, um, to, 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 to fight to get, to get the government to include the work cleaners and porters and healthcare assistants in the bereavement scheme. Mm. Hi everyone, Um, thank you so much for listening. Um, This podcast is made possible thanks to all of our patrons, so we really want to say thank you to them. And Patreon is really important to us as we really want this space to be owned by our listeners. Um, A lot of things we talk about and the nature of the conversations that we have don't really match well with a lot of advertising platforms um, or kind of companies, which means that um, Patreon is kind of how we can keep this podcast going and it's really, really important to us. So we would really, really, really love if you'd consider becoming a Patreon. There are extra bonus episodes on Patreon. There's like, you can get help downloads with the music. You can hear Finn, our producer, actually speak on the Patreon, which is very exciting. We'll be doing like, like Q&As and there'll be lots of different content on there. So we'd really, really love um, if you came along and joined us over on Patreon. That's um, where we have lots of extra fun stuff. And also it just helps this happen. And if you've learned anything from this podcast or from me or joe and you'd like to like feedback into our work um patreon's the best way to do that um and we'd be really really grateful if you could sign up for that so um our patron is the yikes podcast and you can find that in the show notes and thank you so much for supporting us and i hope you enjoy the episode and we'll see you over on patreon well there's, there is such power in um in stories, I guess, and like just showing people. I think, yeah, one thing that, especially around, um, I guess, like working class issues and refugee and migrant issues, um, so often the, the, the individual can be lost in those stories. And I think yep. people forget that these are individual people. And so, yeah, storytelling and, and you doing that project is something that does, I think, yeah, as, as humans, we want to connect with people, we want to be able to connect with individuals. And yep. so, like, creating those stories and creating platforms in order to share those things is so important. I, I agree. And also what's also very important to me when I'm always very cautious of, because I have been interviewed a lot and it's often the case mm. when people interview me is like, why did you flee Syria? I'm like, do you want to know what my favorite color is before you ask me what my, what, mm-hmm. why I fled Syria or mm-hmm. what's my favorite Netflix show or what, what do I cook on Fridays? Because that these, to me, to be honest, these questions matter more. <laughs> mm. I want to connect with the, with, I want to connect with people. So I want to know what they do on like in their, on their weekends, you know, what, what, what's their favorite colors? What's, uh, 
where do they go out in London? Mm. And that's, I mean, my colleagues, sometimes I'm like, what's your favorite color? And they would be shocked. It was like, why are you asking about my favorite color? Like, <laughs> I just want to know. So, um, yes, I, it's, it's storytelling. It's, it's um, getting the, yes, getting that individual story, you know, mm. getting to know who Gimba is, who Albert is, who mm. Catherine is. Um, mm. And it's all about these little details. Mm. I think like remembering that people are so much more than their trauma I think especially um like marginalized individuals or individuals who've experienced um like trauma from oppression or other or other different things um so often like as you're saying in in interviews or in conversation it's almost as if like that that is what defines a person is there is like and that and people are so much more than that like your friends are so much more than the worst thing that's ever happened to them or or the most difficult thing that they've had to go through like obviously that's a part of who we are as people but i think we i think yeah humanizing people comes from like seeing them as a holistic person and not just a reflection of trauma um, I, I i i agree with you and also like uh, i'm especially very cautious of not showing people as victims they could be victims on on mm. something so they are you know the victims mm. of the system that we live in to, to, but the I, I would like to highlight the things that they're doing where, where they appear as like as as like what they're doing is incredible. So, for example, my colleague, Albert, who is a cleaner, uh, has been working as a cleaner for 15 years in for the NHS. And he's migrated from Ghana. And this guy is on minimum wage and he's got two daughters. One is a musician. One is studying to be a doctor and like live in a council state flat really really hard like one of the most hardworking people i've ever met in my life and when i interviewed him i basically <laughs> i wanted to show albert who is basically working so hard to feed his daughters albert who's who's come all the way here and like been working for 15 years for the nhs and he says that he's proud to be a cleaner mm-hmm. and so I, I and then i would talk about the issues that albert wanted to raise you know in terms of mm-hmm. race in terms of inequality in terms of all of these things but i who is albert you know who is mm-hmm. <laughs> who is he <laughs> and there's yeah there's so much power yeah in just in recognizing that people are people and experience yeah. normal things and that's so mm-hmm. like what you're saying about um like not wanting people to be painted as victims all the time and even like the idea of vulnerability I think sometimes um for like marginalized groups um or different issues like vulnerability is kind of painted out as this thing that's like inherent to the individuals or to the or to the groups of people but what you're saying it's the system that makes people vulnerable like it's not themselves and it's not it's not those characteristics that they have like I think about that a lot within um like someone painted to me recently about how Play, like how disabled people have to navigate through the world it shouldn't it shouldn't be that difficult it's because the world's created in a way in which doesn't want to make it accessible for those people and True. to point it in that way rather than if you see it as like oh like that it's difficult because of those people it's inherently difficult for those people actually like the world has, cr- has been created to make it difficult i think yeah. like changing your mindset and then that definitely especially if you're talking about people who so like so like commonly get put in the space of the victim and then that becomes like an identity but yeah. actually like when you, you need to break down the systems that have created that victimhood or that um and Absolutely. Because that can be so damaging yeah i agree with you i um uh yesterday i was with my fiance in downtown london and i really wanted to we both wanted to use the toilet and now because it's logged down like not not that so many places around that where you can use a toilet 
So there was um there were so many places where a man can use a toilet, but not where a woman can use a toilet in central London. And mm. I had the exact same thought. I was like, even our cities are built by men. So it's not if you're mm. talking about it's, it's, I I agree with, agree with your people with like disabilities, but even like when it comes to gender, it's 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 way mm. more accessible for men because mm. cities were built by men. So yes, it's it's um, tackling the system, the the bigger picture before we. That's I mean trying to the, the point is that. Uh, to break down the system and, and to, 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 to analyze it and to mm. realize why, where, where is the problem before you go to the individual story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, even, I mean, as you're saying that, like even something as simple as like street lights is so important, you know, like that is a gender issue. And like, and yeah, there's so many different layers of like how spaces are made accessible or non-accessible. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you mentioned earlier something that you also uh, like highlight is like mental health uh, in the refugee community in in Britain. And um, I mean, Michaela and I have spoken to about this before in different podcast episodes. How joy can be a form of resistance, and yeah. you know, rest can be resistance. But also, just yeah, like being more as you know, like as people, we are more than the stories or the things that have happened to us, and. I suppose, like, um, yeah, I wonder if you can speak to some of the things that you see as, like, mental health um, issues or whatever comes up for you there in in Britain, oh, yeah. in the refugee community. Um, I'm very passionate about the mental health uh, uh, subject when it comes to tackling issues with the refugee communities, migrant communities in the UK, because I am someone who has so many layers of trauma and I was diagnosed mm. with, with complex PTSD. And then, um, mind you, like back home, I was an English teacher. I was, I, I, I was, I was, I was well-educated, but, uh, um, in my culture, which is similar to very like similar to many cultures around in the Middle East and in Africa, uh, m- mental health is a stigma talking about to talk and even like discussing mental health is a taboo mm. I, I remember yeah. and we weren't even like the, the, we didn't even have conversations about it and the only time you bring it up is when you want to say um someone is se- seeing a therapist they would say oh he's majnoon and majnoon is crazy not someone who's ill so we 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 define people mm. who want mental health support as as crazy not as ill and mm. um, yeah. so coming here and then and then when when you're you're fleeing a country and then trying to uh, you're either fleeing or moving so you're a migrant or a refugee and you're you're mm. you're going somewhere else well when you're on the on the journey you're focused on the journey and it's actually satisfying because you're moving from one country to another one country to another so you feel like you're achieving things and then you get you get to your destination let's say it's britain mm-hmm. and then you sit down and then you, you you've you've finished your journey and then you start on a whole new journey in your mind that's when all the traumas resurface and mm. and everything you start having these flashbacks and every uh, you are walking in a, in a world of triggers basically mm. now uh you, you 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 haven't been educated about this it's it's a boo mm. it's um it's it's a stigma and then you you come here where to be honest getting support is very 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 difficult mm. one of like someone who's very close to me tried to get support mental health supports um not like just recently so for four months ago it took three months to to, to get an appointment through, mm. through, through the nhs no. and um refugees are um and asylum seekers sorry asylum seekers here are on just over five pounds a day from mm. the government 
you don't speak the language, you don't know the culture, um, mm. and you are often put in not great accommodation. I've been to some of these places in Cardiff and in Manchester because of my work, and they're, 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 some of these hostels where they put asylum seekers are horrid. And mm. then when you get your refugee status, you have just over 20 days to evacuate and find, like, to sort it out. Yeah. And imagine someone who's like, in, in most yeah. of the cases, you don't even speak the language. Yeah. So imagine having to, to, to move out, find somewhere to live, find, jo- find work, find like a community with the added layers of trauma in the past. Mm. It's, it's really difficult. <laughs> mm. Yeah, I mean, I am, so yeah, I'm a German citizen and I've lived in the UK for the past couple of years and I I like recognize like how many layers and barriers there are even for me as a European citizen um you know and getting a national insurance number and you have to speak the language for that and you have to have a job for that but you also need a national insurance number to get most jobs and then you need to have all of these like documents to even get a flat and like you know I like I recognize there like my privilege in yeah. you know in being fluent in english in in having even like already a community and like having a university that was able to help me out with these things but and like i can't even imagine what you know if you don't have any of these things and you have that 20 day limit that you just mentioned which i had yeah. no idea about even that like yeah it, there are so many barriers that make it you know really really difficult and i even remember like when i had to apply for all of these things like i i almost like i had this feeling even when I was like with a like on a call with someone I was like you don't want me here do you and like that yeah. really already hurt me and you know and I'm still so privileged in my position that I was in that yeah it made me feel yeah it made me I think like recognize like how how difficult is being actively made for for all all people especially people who are not from the EU you know and don't hold yeah. the same privilege as me because because uh, I agree with you and and, and uh, so it's, uh, I really appreciate that you realize the difference between someone who moved from Germany or to like some from, from or someone who moved from Afghanistan because uh, navigating the bureaucracy of home of the home office here and also mm-hmm. the, there's so, so many things that are very unfamiliar for example the postal system mm-hmm. is unfamiliar it's unfamiliar to me like back home in Syria we didn't have the postal service I did I never mm-hmm. got any letters and then suddenly you get dozens of letters from your home office and every time I swear to god every time I get a letter until this present day I feel like a bit anxious because <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm like what am I <laughs> what have I done am I gonna get mm-hmm. deported or what, what's mm-hmm. what's going on so uh, there are so many uh, it's 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 you're you're living in a very unfamiliar environment you have you've most likely left family behind who are still living in in dire circumstances and you have to find work to support yourself or support your family and you have to find somewhere to live and you also have to access accessing employment here we know how difficult it is and getting back to academia and just sorting out your mental health it's a lot. It's literally a lot for any individual to to, to deal with. Mm. Yeah, like so, I've spoken quite a lot about how like, I suffer with my mental health quite a lot. I get quite bad depression and anxiety. Um, and it, listening to you talk about all those different things, like I honestly can't imagine having to navigate all of that as well as carrying like trauma with you, and as well as like having to suffer with mental health issues because. Like, if I think about how mental health is stigmatized in the UK, and then you're talking about how much it's stigmatized in other, like, countries, 
I just the, the mental like fatigue that would even go on in trying to like to navigate all these different things and I don't know it just it just really like maybe it's not that helpful but it makes me very upset that to and very angry whenever I think about the fact that the hostile environment policy is like I remember when I found out that that was that term wasn't something that was used by like that was coined by activists that was coined by the government themselves I just couldn't believe it I was like as if they, they had the audacity to call it <laughs> yeah like I honestly couldn't believe it I was just like do they what like yeah it is the audacity it's the fact that they can literally openly say we are going to deliberately make it like a hostile environment for vulnerable people or for people who've been who've been through um, significant trauma already and we're going to make it even harder for them to live I just it just okay I was so angry about this I'm <laughs> now getting like I'm not able to really speak much I'm just getting really like I just can't like oh it's already hard enough for like people who have a lot of privilege in this country to access access, access mental health resources so it must I, I've just realized that I've never really considered like the impacts it must have for like refugees and asylum seekers and yeah. have all these other hoops that they have to jump through but from yeah. the government who don't want them to stay and then also like trying to deal with your mental health and cope with that and Gosh, yeah. That's it's, yeah, it's frustrating. And it's, it's, uh, again, like for me, I can tell you, like I, it's really also, it's, it's important to discuss the hierarchy amongst the refugee community itself mm. because I'm like, I'm Syrian. So Syrians now are sexy refugees. They are like the, mm. the, the elite refugees, I would, like the way I would say. Like we're, we're, we're elitist in a way that, yes, you are accepted. Um, you Basically, you are uh, on a level of trauma and suffering, you hit a lot of, um, uh, you, you take a lot of boxes. So, mm. and uh, m- most Syrians have um, fair skins, uh, like uh, light, lighter skin tones. So even that is an, is an element. Um, I, I, for for mm. most Syrians, it only takes around six months in Britain to get, a, to get uh, your leave to remain uh, accepted. Mm-hmm. And... Um, Unfortunately, even in the in the um, in the charity sector, on some on in some places, I'm not I'm not painting everyone with the same brush, but they they, mm-hmm. they have been favoring Syrians over na- other nationalities, which is very problematic. And I'm Syrian myself, but I have to say it's very problematic because mm-hmm. it's it's it feeds into that system of of inequality, the same system that we all suffer from. Now, um, for 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 for. for for non-Syrians, say for example, someone who fled Eritrea or Ethiopia, mm-hmm. you, it takes minimum t- two years to, to to decide on on on, oh um, on leave to remain, and oh. that's if you get it eventually. Or someone from Afghanistan, Afghan boys who come here as kids, as like in, in eleven and twelve, when they turn eighteen, they are still being deported back to Afghanistan. And you know the epitome of hypocrisy. If you check travel advice to Afghanistan, as Brits, as any British national like citizen. You are warned against all types of travel to Afghanistan, mm-hmm. but they are still deporting uh, kids who turn eighteen back to Afghanistan. So it's 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 difficult for all refugees, mm. but it's it's especially difficult for 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 for, for non Syrian refugees, to be honest, because mm. we're living in limbo, having to live. I know people who have been waiting for four or five years to hear for leave to me, even more than five years. Mm. There are cases literally like six and seven and eight years of people waiting, living in limbo. So where, where you are not allowed to work uh, and you're living on five pounds a day. So handouts basically just like, mm. um, and you can't travel because while you are in your asylum process, you cannot travel. You don't, you don't, you, you can't even go and see your family if someone passes away or like a wedding or anything, nothing can happen. So it's, it's, I don't think anyone who can put themselves in this situation can find it. Like it, it's unbearable. It's literally mm. unbearable. 
Oh my gosh. What you're saying about how yeah, the, the travel advice to some countries that they send people back to says the Brits shouldn't travel there. Like that hypocrisy, that is just like, like I see that as like white supremacy manifesting of being like, oh, like, but also like very I don't know, British supremacy as well, being like, okay, well, we like, just because this person didn't happen to be born in this country, like yeah. they don't deserve protection. It's honestly just like, Oh, sorry. This all just makes me so angry. <laughs> and also, also, Michaela, we, 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 it's important to discuss the involvement of 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 a country like Britain in some mm. of these crises around yeah. the world. Mm. So, so you know that um, two days ago was it two days? I think yesterday actually. Um, so there was a halt on weapons being sold to Saudi Arabia from Britain because mm-hmm. of what's happening in Yemen. Yesterday, mm-hmm. that halt was lifted. So now mm. Britain is reselling arms and weapons to Saudi. And Saudi is, is, is heavily involved in the war, in the, in the Yemeni war. Mm. And Yemen now is, is on the brink of famine. Like the UN just uh, like announced that they're on the brink of famine. It's the worst humanitarian disaster in the world. But mm. if a Yemeni comes to Britain and seek asylum, what's the chance? I checked yesterday, I think 60 or 70% of getting asylum if you're Yemeni. Mm. So <laughs> we... Yeah. We're basically like droning people around and like causing and selling weapons to dictatorial governments and regimes. And then if people flee these disasters and come here, we have to interrogate them, question them. Why are you here? Why are you claiming asylum? It's it's ludicrous. It is. Honestly, like so many of these conflicts as well are a product of like the legacy of colonialism <laughs> and, yeah, yeah. So, and then to then be like oh wait a minute like actually i know that we caused all these issues but we don't actually want to have to deal with any of the mm. the like, fallout that comes the from consequences, that. Yeah. Um, the consequences it's just it is just absolutely and completely i think when you when you think about all of this logically and you i think a lot of people don't realize the connections though that, that britain i mean because obviously our history that we're taught, taught at school is like britain was great empire was fab like we never taught like colonialism literally caused famines and killed so many different people and it was just pillaging lands like that's not the history that we're taught at school i think a lot of people don't a lot of people don't like actually know how connected mm. i think like conflicts that are happening in in these parts of the world that are seen as like far away and like not really connected to us they didn't realize how how like connected these were through like the legacy of the past but also how connected they are in the present like what you're saying about selling ammunition and selling i just don't i just Oh, I just don't understand how <laughs> we're able to, I don't know how we're able to be indoctrinated so much during like our entire upbringing, like through schools and even how we're taught things, even through how the news portray things, like how, how often, how often is like colonialism or Britain's legacy addressed when we talk about these conflicts? I just feel like it's yeah. not, not really addressed at all. No, never. Never, yeah. yeah. I, I mean, even now at the moment, like you see all of those like travel shows on you know, like British TV or something and literally celebrating like Brits, usually like white middle-class, upper-class like Brits, you know, going to XYZ country, starting their little like, I don't know, hot dog business or like smoothie bowl business. And that's fine. And we can do that. But we, and like, but these are the exact people that don't want other people that literally have every right to come to Britain to, you know, do whatever. Like, I think even that distinct, wishing between like economic migrants or refugees Mm. and asylum seekers versus like fleeing from war like there's so many categories that people like try and like to like yeah just like manipulate and um yes you know saying like who is like yeah like feeding into that like hierarchy of like refugees or like 
I don't even want to say any of the terms that are being used, but um, yeah, I think like the audacity that white supremacy and like neocolonialism like perpetuates is is so disgusting, and it's mm-hmm. it's like romanticized so much in our media from our government. I mean, yeah, there's just there's just so much going on there that um, I agree with you, and and it's 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 a um... <laughs> I, I like that you, you you mentioned Brits going abroad to to like start businesses or like what what like a smoothie box or whatever is what or to get any job. But you know, what, mm. Brits when they are when they go abroad to, to to work, they're called expats. They're not even called migrants. Mm. And that the problem stems from here. So it's only when someone who's fleeing from the east to the west or coming from the east to west mm. they're called migrants or refugees. But when people from the west go east, they're expats. Mm. So that, that's that literally that and that's. That, that's it like they, mm. they these these brands these titles have been they're used for a specific race a specific ethnic background mm. or, or a culture and uh, it this is what this is what creates this this um uh, this is this is stems into this world of like the anti-migrant rhetoric of and and like um, racism and mm. and because if you're white you're expat if you're if you're mm. brown or black you're a migrant or a refugee mm. Mm. Yeah, and even the narrative around like, um, yeah, I, what you're saying, Joe, about how they'll celebrate people. They'll sell like all these shows that are like Home and Away or whatever. Like, like it's white people from the UK moving to Australia, and it's like, oh, this is great. But at the same time, if like, yeah, if someone moves from like Ethiopia to the UK, people will be like, oh well, um, like, why did you come here? Like, did you taking need to our come jobs? Here? Yeah, you're taking our jobs. <laughs> or, or, the most ridiculous thing I think is, or, especially like in in Akala's book, Natives, he talks about this a lot, like how like Jamaica, um, the, the Windrush generation that came to the UK from Jamaica, they were they'd been brought up being told that they were British citizens because their taxes paid for, were British taxes, and like basically the whole of Jamaica's resources were pillaged by the British, and they were they were told <laughs> that they were like part of Britain, and then they arrived in Britain. Um, as like with the Windrush um, boats and they were told and then as soon as they arrived they were told like why are you here you're stealing jobs you're not British you're other and like how Mm. bizarre that is that especially I always especially I always think like if people have come from previous British colonies to the UK (laughs) how dare anyone in in, like Britain tell them that these people are stealing jobs I'm like you like Britain is built off the labour of people from all these different countries Britain is built off the resources like people always talk about how you make out that like Africa is the poorest continent in the world Re- resource wise Africa is the richest continent in the world yeah all those resources have just been stolen by the I mean even wide. British tea like mm. you know the icon of Britain <laughs> is from abroad <laughs> I said the other day I said every time I feel homesick uh I go to the British Museum <laughs> oh god <laughs> because, because there's an entire department of stuff from Syria which were mm. Uh, quote unquote borrowed or looted. I don't know what's mm. that. What there. <laughs> yeah, but we were saying when people, when people, loads of like people getting upset about looting that was happening with the riots following um, the like murder of George Floyd. People were like, if you want to like Britain, Britain's the best at looting ever. Like you go to the museum <laughs> and you can see like all the different things that we've stolen. <laughs> oh gosh, yeah. It's I think yeah. All of I also I don't know. All of this. It seems that a lot of this comes down to like education i don't know if that's like an oversimplification of a lot of things i agree I with 100 like, yeah. I, I was about to say that yeah mm. yeah yeah because like if people understood this understood all these issues more i feel like people would also have greater empathy like what you're saying before about stories and and about humanizing people 
if people understood like history as it actually was rather than like how it's portrayed to us um from a certain context and if people understood like the stories that people have more then I just feel like there'd be so much greater empathy and also just so much greater understanding of all these issues and I yeah, yeah 100% and 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 the solution because we could talk about the problem for ages but the solution where do you start you start from the classroom you start from the curriculum what are people taught here from my understanding kids here and like people who go to school here mm-hmm. they they get taught a lot about the second the first and second world war mm-hmm. and when 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 we were the good guys mm-hmm. when brits were the good guys but what mm-hmm. are they taught about like uh, the colonialism are they are mm-hmm. they taught about let me tell you from my region so and when when the ottoman empire fell it was carved up by the french and the british the the, the two foreign the, the two foreign ministers uh, Psychis Pico, I think there were names. They carved up the the region. They they carved up Iraq, Syria, Jordan, Palestine, and, and Lebanon, and um, and then there was the Balfour Declaration, where um, uh, Israel was created in 1984, and then the Anglo-American invasion of Iraq um, and um, the, the, the the constant wars be- between Israel and Palestine and the, the Israeli invasion of Lebanon. That region has never been stable. And mm. it's, it's, it, you, you will know, I mean, if any, any person studying the history of that region will automatically know why people like, if you were born in Afghanistan or if you're, sorry, if you're, if you live in Iraq right now, or if you live in Northern Eastern Syria, wouldn't you want to like anyone who's listening to this, if you're, if you right now live in, let's say Raqqa, okay. Or in Idlib or mm. in Gaza, the largest prison in the world. Wouldn't you want to come to France <laughs> or to Germany mm. or Finland? Of course you want to. Yeah. Because anyone who's in Britain, for example, say you live in Hackney, right? In East London. And then you want to move somewhere else. You're like, okay, I'll go to Islington because it's there's better connection. There are better schools, easy commute. Mm. There are mm. gardens. So we have this privilege, if you're living in the West, of mm. choosing where to live because you have these... You have these pluses, you have these advantages, but why people in the East are not allowed this? Because mm, yeah. e- even the idea of passports is, is the fi- yeah. it's, 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 it's just ludicrous. It's just this mm. geographical lottery. You're born somewhere, and then they ha- mm. you have this document which will affect your life forever. Mm. Yeah. Mm. I yeah, I think about that some like so much because I I grew up on the western border of Germany and. Um, you know, I can cycle to Belgium, I can cycle to the Netherlands, and I don't notice it. And like my my privilege of movement, not being able to restrict, like not being restricted, and like this like passport lottery that you know I I got a passport in a time where Germany is very free and liberal and like in like border wise, and um, and I can just do that. And yeah. I'm not being questioned. And so, so many times, like when I would travel to Scotland, for example, like by bus or train, the racist like police that would be there at the borders and that would stop, you know, and like would do passport controls. But me, because I'm blonde, because I have my red passport, I wouldn't get stopped. And that like, I wonder, what do you like, what do you think you want people to know or to talk more about and you know to change to change that and to change our i mean i guess like you know from like by tomorrow we won't be able to completely deconstruct that privilege based on the inequality and oppression that exists um and that we benefit of for people living in the west but 
I would like people to know is that um, so the 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 number of refugees around the world is growing every year. When uh, when the UNHCR was created, I think over fifty years ago, we, we had one million refugees. Now we have over seventy five million refugees. Wow. And and the number is going growing because because of because of man made disasters and it's also mm. because of global warming and then the, then the so more and more people will flee mm-hmm. um, and the rhetoric around people move fleeing their countries to go and seek protection somewhere else has to change because mm. it's for for years now it has been hijacked by 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 populists by people on the right who. Um, by nationalism uh, and and uh, it's I think I think what I would like people to know is that this is not going to stop. It's going mm. to keep on happening. So we have to make a decision. Mm. We either we either coexist and live in live in harmony because it, or we choose to to fight one another. And I don't. I, I think it's a, it's a it's a it's a very clear. Pattern, because as long as we dehumanize people and as long as we say, um, when you refer to people as numbers, because until this present day, you say like 400 people were like fled or sorry, sank in the Mediterranean um, or 200 people arrived to Greece. When you keep dehumanizing people by re- referring to them as numbers and uh, or cargo, y- y- you're not going anywhere. You're not going to get anywhere. So you want to solve this, so you do by starting by by pulling out from these man-made crises that people that countries in the West are creating, mm. and you start by like just combating this rhetoric, this 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 hatred, this uh, anti like this populist and nationalist rhetoric of like we own this land, this is ours, and you're not allowed here. I'm like, yeah, I wish you said this to your ancestors seven, seven mm. to eight years ago. Yep. Mm. <laughs> mm. So yeah. Gosh, yeah, but like I, I think one of the most bizarre things. Sorry to, but it's one thing. Like, especially he's been talking about, um, like this is our land, get off our land. There's something that I've been thinking about a lot recently is like how, like the immigration detention centers in um, the US on the border and how awful and, and horrible they are and how they treat um, people trying to get to the US. And yet, like the majority of the people who live in the US are colonizers who um, yeah. <laughs> literally stole the land from indigenous people who still and indigenous people still um like exist in the US and still live on on, on occupied land and have to experience discrimination have to and then get told that they need to go back to their country and they're like this is like our country like it but I just think that it's just so that I don't know the idea of like of having ownership over an area just by chance because you happen to be it's born bizarre. there it's just so bizarre it's yeah. so, and, and the yeah. fact that we focus on that so fervently is yeah. so bizarre and it's just because it's just holding on to privilege it's just being like i i'm very privileged to have happened to by chance be born in this area and therefore i'm going to hold on to that so hard and make it that other people don't have the resources or access that i have to yeah. it's really selfish yeah and do you know michaela what i mean what the what speaking of america what this pandemic sh- like show, showed or proved is that anyone in any second can become a refugee literally mm. it take it, within a second you're 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 not protect this this the reason why this was so shocking to so many people around the world not to refugees by the way i didn't find it that shocking i mean i found it a bit annoying because i'm like i'm tired of crises like as it's, mm. i'm only 30, 32 i would like to live a settled life now but for people who haven't lived in crisis before this was so shocking because suddenly your life is uprooted you mm. have to 
you 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 are uh, in lockdown you 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 your freedom of travel has been taken away from you mm-hmm. um and you basically uh, under under threat from this from this invisible enemy that we were not prepared for because we have spent trillions of dollars in their latest um military t- technology but we didn't buy ventilators and ppe so mm-hmm. we have been we yeah. have been preparing for the for the for, we've been preparing for a war which we never fought and mm-hmm. and 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 this came out of nowhere but following the news like current news what's happening now M- mexicans who live on 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 villages on the bo- on the southern american borders are not allowing americans in because of the high number of covid of the uh, in, in in america so th- suddenly things have been like within what four or five months it's always been mexicans want to go to america but now mexican mm. americans trying to go to mexico no, so you're not you're, you're not allowed in so um, i'm i'm not going to say that this this pandemic is 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 a is a leveler or like now we're all refugees because that's a very that's a myth mm. but it's it's i think it's a, it's a wake up call it's yeah. a wake up call to everyone that this is this won't be the last pandemic mm. um covid 21 covid 22 i mean i don't want to be a pessimist i don't want to but it won't be the last pandemic mm. there, there will be in the future so mm. it's you know it's a <laughs> we need again i'm going to go back to the same message we either learn how to coexist Mm. or not <laughs> yeah and like this isn't I like I always I've, especially with COVID and everything I've been thinking like this isn't this also isn't going to be the last crisis like this is the start of a much bigger crisis which is probably yeah. the collapse of capitalism as we know it and like the and I think even within how I think COVID was a really good ex- example of how we were talking about before like how vulnerability isn't something that's inherent it's something that's created by a system because a lot of a lot of people who would never have thought of themselves as quote unquote vulnerable um, mm-hmm. have now been made vulnerable by this virus um, and by this the system by the, the conditions of it and in the same way that like um, even how we responded to the pandemic like that those all of those have been choices and that have been made by by governments and people and it it has in many ways also shown that the, the government has a lot more choice than they make out and they have a lot more capability to do things than they've made out they have before like mm. things that they especially the conservative government things that they said they were never going to do during covid <laughs> suddenly yeah. they were just like picking from like the labor party's manifesto from <laughs> last election <laughs> that they said was impossible and so all these things i think in many ways as well like this yeah this has shown that this isn't the last crisis and we need to be we need to prepare and we need to also learn how to work in community because that's the best way that we can do things but also like we need to see that these things that we're told are impossible like probably aren't impossible they just yeah. they just don't want to happen we also we have a duty to 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 vote because mm. <laughs> speaking of actions what can we do what can we do i mean i can't vote because refugees are not allowed to vote but mm-hmm. um uh i think what's happened in the past three or four months it's clear to everyone who like Basically, yes. If we want to, if we if we want to, to co- if you want to coexist and if you want to live and if you want to, uh, basically, uh, yeah, uh, we we need to have the right people in power. Mm-hmm. Because let's just discuss this. I mean, you, you spoke about the conservative government and labor. Mm. It's the, the pandemic until this present day is not over yet. Mm. Actually, in Hellingdon, the Boris Johnson's constituency, there was an outbreak of coronavirus in A and E yesterday. They had to, to they had to. 
there's a crisis in, in, in literally in West London right now mm. in, in Boris Johnson's local hospital. Mm. Um, so the pandemic isn't over. However, mm. the government has already blamed care homes for the high death toll in care homes for like old people in care homes. Mm. They have already uh, uh, failed student nurses. They've promised to mm. pay them until September, but they stopped. They um, they they stopped free parking for 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 NHS staff. Mm-hmm. They scrapped um, free meals. So they clapped for carers, and they, mm-hmm. they they were out there clapping, 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 clapping. And the pandemic isn't over, but they're already letting down the carers. They're letting mm-hmm. down the people who they who they sent to the front line. More mm-hmm. more more NHS staff have died than British soldier, soldiers died on the war in Iraq. So, no. so it's mm-hmm. it, 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 it's just it's it's mind boggling, and 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 it's mm-hmm. I, I think I think it's this just is an indication of who do you vote for, who do you mm-hmm. want, who do you want in power, and it's not just in, on a, on a government level, even like communities, even in councils. Mm-hmm. I keep saying put the right people in power, mm-hmm. put community leaders, MPs, ministers, councillors, because because <laughs> it's it's I think it's one of the I mean it's 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 one of the solutions. To, mm-hmm. To the problem <laughs> yeah like the, the audacity of that clapping but they're not doing anything i think just shows like how performative um mm. you know these actions are and yeah i think I, I love that you said like also you know like the the councils that like anything like anything even you know like something as as let's say simple as like teachers like and yeah. like any almost like role models that we have in our communities and like all the different layers all, like you know all the way to the government like all of these people have power in different ways obviously and we need all of those different power structures to you know have good representation have good you know like embeddedness and like for council leaders to be in the community to be also being taught by community you know like mm-hmm. council leaders or any 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 person in position they don't know everything and they shouldn't know everything but they can mm. They must also learn from their, um, you know, from the members of their constituency and, mm. and and so on. Because, like you just said, like you can't vote, but you have so many lessons and you shared so many in in this podcast, and you have so many more, obviously. <laughs> that you know, like even though you can't vote, you you could like people should still come to you to learn from you, and you know, so um, yeah. yeah. Thank you for it's saying I think also one thing that I would say to people, especially around voting, is if, like, please actually talk to your MPs, like, they are literally your elected officials, um, like, send them emails, harass them, like, try and have a meeting with them. If you if you never hear back from them or if their response always seems like this copy and pasted response, question whether you want them to be the person who's representing you. I think too often, like, um, when we think of voting as well, we don't really sometimes think about our actual MP who represents us and I think it's really important to like hold that person accountable and talk to them and talk to them about these issues like after this podcast episode maybe like you're really frustrated with refugee men- mental health and like asylum seekers rent- mental health and how that's being like tackled you email your MP about it I know that it can seem like it's not that big a thing but if pe- 
if these MPs get enough emails about the same stuff, then they are going to have to bring it up because their job is literally to represent their constituents. Yeah, um, and and there, and there are current campaigns where people are trying to. So it's there's a campaign. It's called Right to Work, where basically campaigners are trying to get the government to to agree to let asylum asylum seekers work, mm. um, or at least increase the five pounds a day they're getting, um, mm. because that's 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 interrelated with with the mental health uh, mm. topic. It's it's they're all, they're all correlated, and also ending the hostile environment um, in Britain. Current mm. Britain is the only country in Europe which indefinitely uh, detains migrants. So um, this, yeah. So there are also so many campaigns going about. Um, uh, the mayor of London, Sadiq Khan, is also working on ending hostile environment. Mm. Um, it, it works. I mean, a lot mm. of people feel frustrated. A lot of people are like, what? What can I do? What can I do? I can tell you what I have done. I heard that the government doesn't want to give um, to protect the families of cleaners and porters and healthcare assistants who are working on the front line. And it really hurt me because I know these people and they're living mm. on minimum, they're working on minimum wage and they're, they're putting themselves and their families at so much risk. So what I did is that I filmed myself and put the video out on Twitter. And four hours later, it was like 5 million views and the government's wow. YouTube because everyone retweeted it. So wow. it, you may feel like you may feel like you're frustrated about what can you do as an individual? You can. It, I literally did it. It wasn't just mm. so the USN wasn't just my work. There were so many people working, but it, it, it gave it, it it gave it it gave the campaign a, a huge mm. push. But mm. it, 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 it can work. It, we're, mm. we're living in, a, in, a, in an age. I mean, social media is a double sided weapon, but you can broadcast to the entire world from the convenience of your bedroom and, mm. and you can you, you can speak out and you can do shit. I actually think this is a really great like time to like wrap up because people have got some like ideas that they can take and to actually have some actions and like I know that I've learned so much from this episode like I feel like you gave us a history lesson you encouraged me to like stand up more against like um oppression and against the government and to rethink things and I I learned yeah. so much um, from this episode. We've like absolutely loved having me on speaking for myself. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you so so much. Thank you for having me. I always like to end with um, with uh, with giving a shout out for to some of the great organizations mm. yes, doing great yes, work. Favorite. So, so yeah, so you've got refugees at home. Refugees at home, basically, a lot of refugees and asylum seekers end up in destitute in Britain and become homeless. Uh, because the home office let them down so refugees at home connects people with spare rooms with these people so it's like airbnb for refugees but for mm. free it's a really good charity to, to check out there's also freedom from torture freedom from torture is a, is an is a great organization i they offer uh, therapy and support for people who've fled and they've endured torture and like trauma and it's such a i i know the people who work there they're really good people there is um, the bike project, which gives free bikes to asylum seekers and refugees. I once got a bike from them. It was a lifesaver. Um, there's obviously Choose Love. Um, and it's like a, Choose Love is like a family to me. So it's mm. uh, check out their work. Um, who else? Um, I don't know. Maybe if <laughs> yeah, that's who I can think of right now. But uh, yeah, whoever is listening and they can um, also like flag out or like uh, highlight some of the work of some other great organizations mm. that would be great yeah. I remember um, there's one just because we spoke about cooking earlier 
I think there's one called My Grateful. My Grateful. They're yeah, incredible. and they've been cooking classes. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mine yeah. currently because of the pandemic, so that's really wonderful. Um, yeah, yeah, My Grateful, they're really good. Um, there's also um, uh, Breaking Barriers. They offer, like, they support people to get back to, 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 to access employment. Uh, and there's Refuge Aid. They help people get back to academia and they give them free English classes and stuff. So yeah, there are some really good grassroots that are basically yeah. stepping up to do the job of the to do the work of the government. But uh, yeah, <laughs> check them out. Yeah. <laughs> oh, we've loved having you on here so Thank much. Thank you so Enjoy much. Um, if people want to hear more from you, um, where can they find you? You can just like they can find me. Yeah. So I'm on Twitter, on Instagram, Hassan Akkad, H A W S A N A W K A D. Um, uh, yeah, I'm currently mm. building a website, so there will be a website where I can put all the resources and everything that I've done. Oh, um, yeah, but for for now, I'm on I'm on, I'm on the socials. As on the socials, <laughs> I cannot wait for your book. I know that yeah, I'll oh, exactly. thank, thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening and um, we really hope that you enjoy this episode as much as we have um oh i love this episode so much mm, yeah me too it really motivated me and oh i have so many feels mm, so many feels um so many feels. if you would like to follow the podcast on instagram um i mean obviously we'd really like that <laughs> it's at the x podcast um i am michaela loach michaela loach on instagram I'm Josephine Becker and I'm Trees and Peace on Instagram. Um, this podcast has been produced by the wonderful Finley Mowat and we will be back soon with another episode. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs>